Now we're going to be privileged today to hear from Steve Sanders as he delivers the word for us. Wow. I don't know how you follow that up. (laughs) But uh, God will be faithful. As as David was uh, speaking, all I could think of was belong, flourish, and go. That's a vision we have in this church. I appreciate it. So um, I will tell you, I I didn't get a lot of guidance uh, on on today's sermon. I think Mike is the only one that knew what I was going to speak about, and it's amazing how God has orchestrated the uh, the service so far. Uh, I did go to our higher power to get advice, and Sandy told me to keep it short. She said, "Don't don't speak long." So so we'll see how this goes. Um, this morning, I'm going to talk about dangers of apostasy. Uh, if you will, take your your Bible out and turn to the Book of Judges. Uh, probably don't hear a lot preached from the Old Testament, but I, I absolutely love the Old Testament. And if you've not read it, I encourage you to spend time in the Old Testament. This morning, uh, we're, going to, we're going to go to Judges chapter 2. I'm going to read a couple of, um, a couple of texts from the book of Judges, and, and then we're going to get into this. So first of all, in Judges chapter 2, uh, I'm going to start with verse, uh, verse 6. It says, When Joshua had dismissed the people, for the sons of Israel went each to his inheritance to possess the land. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua, who had seen all the great work of the Lord, which he had done for them. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the territory of his inheritance, in Timnath Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. All that generation were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. Flip over to chapter 3, verse 7. Judges chapter 3, verse 7, it says, The sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and forgot the Lord their God, and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, so that he sold them into the hands of Cushan Rishathame, king of Mesopotamia. And the sons of Israel served Cushan Rishathame eight years. And if you don't like the way I pronounce that, you can pronounce it your own way, okay? That's the way we do in Bible quizzing. Verse 9, when the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the sons of Israel to deliver them, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel. When he went out to war, the Lord gave Cushane Rishathame, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, so that he prevailed over Cushan Rishathame. Father, we come to you this morning, and uh, Lord, we thank you uh, for your word. God, I pray you'll be with us now as we uh, open your word, as we study it, God, that you would just uh, calm our minds. Father, all the stuff that we brought with us from this past week and all the stuff we have to face this next week, that you would just uh, take that out of our minds. And Father, I pray for a few moments that um, we'll just turn to you and we'll face you 
And Father, that you would just uh, open your word to us. I pray your Holy Spirit would just come in and just uh, teach us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, these past few months, there's been some instances of some fairly high-profile Christians who have turned away from the faith. And I know uh, when that last instance happened this past, uh, just a few months ago, uh, both Chris and, and Pastor Mike talked about it from the pulpit. And you know, no doubt, if you've been a believer very long, you too have seen people who once were, uh, you know, involved in, involved in church, uh, allegedly Christians, walk away from their faith, okay? Now, at this point, I want to be brutally honest about this, okay? And really, there's one of, of, of two situations that people find themselves in. First of all, they were never believers in the first place, and they're simply returning to their former way of life. You know, Jesus talked about this when he talked about the parable of the seeds. You know, some of the seeds fell by the rocky soil. Uh, some sprang up for a little while, but was quickly uh, taken away by the birds or choked out by the thorns. Okay? And what these people have, yeah, they might have been involved in church, but they had an experience. They didn't have a true relationship with Jesus Christ. And so now they're just going back to their former way of life. So they're really not... Uh, walking away from God, walking away from faith, right? They never had it in the first place. And then, of course, the second situation is for those of us who are true believers, and they only think they're giving up their faith and turning away from God. You know, if they're true believers, they can't renounce their faith and leave it. As we studied in Life Group over the last few weeks, that God saves us out of His good pleasure for His glory. And he will not allow his name to be disgraced. And these people will have a rude awakening because we, as we've seen in the scriptures, we're going to talk about this morning. If you are a child of God and you try to walk, walk away from God, he will come after you, okay? So there are a couple of scriptures. Um, first of all, in Matthew 24.10, Jesus warns us that in the last days, there will be apostasy. There will be people who fall away from him, okay? And then in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. So we are warned in the scripture about apostasy. So when we see this happening, we should not be surprised, okay? Maybe saddened, but we should not be surprised. If you look uh, in Judges, in this Judges chapter 3, verse 7, there is a, um, uh, a repeated thing that takes place over and over and over with Israel from the time they come out of the promised land until the time they're taken captive in Babylon. And in, cha- in verse 7, in chapter 3, it says that God's people, covenant people, turn away from Him. Okay? Then in verse 8, it says God sends trials upon the people. Then in verse 9, the people become so oppressed by the trials that they repent and they cry out to God. Okay, And then God, in verses 10 through 11, responds to that and He delivers them. And if you read the book of Judges, and if you read from the time that they left Egypt until their time of captivity in Babylon, which which spans a period of 900 plus years. 900 years. That's a long time, okay? Israel did this over and over and over. And yet God kept reaching out to them to bring them back because they were His people. And what we have here is we have a process of falling away from God. This is not something that happens overnight, but it's a process. 
And when the process starts, it can escalate quickly. And the sooner in the process that you recognize this process and stop it, the easier it will be on you. So as we talk this morning about this scripture, you may be tempted to think about someone you knew who once was um, uh, involved in church, maybe once sat here, maybe someone, uh, a family member or a friend who has walked away from the faith. I don't want you to do that. I want you to consider yourself. Use these scriptures that we're looking at today, and I want you to examine yourself and even look for little areas of your life, little areas of sin that begin that can begin to pull you away from God, okay? So I'm going to talk about what I call nine steps of apostasy as we start going through this this morning. So step number one is your thoughts begin to drift away from God. In Matthew 15:19, it says, For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witnesses, slander. You see here that this starts with a thought, something going through your mind. It doesn't start with open sin, but it starts with a thought. I want you to think about this. Uh, The situation is going on in Judges. Israel has just arrived in the Promised Land, right? Where have they been the last 40 years? In the wilderness. They've been in the desert, okay? Have any of you ever been to the desert? I... I had the privilege uh, about five years ago to go to Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. And I spent about three or four days in in Riyadh. And then we flew from Riyadh up to the north coast of Saudi Arabia. The flight was about, I don't know, an hour, hour and a half. And I had a window seat, okay? And I sat and looked at that window seat. And I don't know how high we were, Greg. We were probably 30,000 feet. And you could see a long ways. And as far as you could see, there was nothing but brown sand. There were no trees, there were no rivers, there were no lakes. You know, when you fly in the United States, you see trees, rivers, and lakes everywhere, right? Out there, you see absolutely nothing. For 40 years, they were wandering around in absolutely nothing. It's hot and dry, right? They didn't have a quick trip. They could go get an iced tea, right? They didn't have LTO Pepe. They could go get a nice meal. They were stuck out there. So what did they do? Their very existence depended on who? On God. He brought forth water from the rock, right? And every morning with the morning dew, they went out and they collected manna, right? And then every evening, the wind would blow in, and the wind would blow in what? Do you remember what it blew in? Quail, okay? Forty years, forty years, water, manna, quail, Water, manna, quail. Day in, day out. Water, manna, quail. Now, I'm sure they were happy for what they had, but after a while, they might have gotten tired of this. Now they come into the promised land, the land of milk and what? Milk and honey. This is good, right? They go in there. Instead of wandering around all the time, every few days, packing up stuff and moving to the next camp, they had cities already built. Okay? Instead of living in tents, They moved into houses that were already built. And instead of having water and manna and quail every single day, day in and day out, they now had milk and honey. They had fruits. They had vegetables. And they had various types of meats. Okay? And so what began to happen? 
they begin to look around at the people in the land. God told them to, to uh, you know, uh, get rid of the people in the land to, to drive them out, and they didn't do it. So they got to looking around at the people of the land. They got to looking at their new lifestyle, and they said, you know what? This is pretty good. This is pretty nice. And their thoughts begin to turn away from God. You see, this is our first process of drifting away from God is when our thoughts start to turn away from God and start turning somewhere else. We become complacent and we no longer have the urgency to keep our mind on the things of God. Okay? You know, and at first these thoughts may be fairly innocuous thoughts, fairly innocent thoughts. Um, I have to watch out for myself. Um, I'm an engineer, okay? And when I, when I look into getting something, I like to research it, like a pair of hunting boots or fishing gear or computer. I like to research. You know, I like to go out, what specs are out there? What do I need? What are other people using? Uh, I, I like to collect all this information. But I have to watch out because I can find my mind starts getting pulled away from God. And I find I'm not spending time in prayer. And I'm not spending time in the Word like I should be. Okay? <clears throat> So these thoughts may not be necessarily bad things, but they start to distract you from God. Then the next thing that happens, and I'm going to go back to Judges chapter 2, verse 10, if private duties begin to drift, private duties begin to drift, in chapter 10, all that generation, that's the generation after Joshua, all that generation were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. Why did that generation not know the Lord? What had the parents failed to do? The the parents had failed to teach the children. God made it very clear in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7, that Israel was to teach the law diligently, not just to their children, but diligently to their children. In Joshua chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, they were to set up monuments that would cause the children to ask, hey, what's this about? What's going on? So they could remind their children what God had done for them. They didn't do that. So what are some of the, the basic uh, private disciplines that we have in our lives that begin to go when our thought life begins to drift away? I think first of all is prayer. You know, prayer is difficult work. Anyone can do it anywhere, but prayer takes a lot of discipline to make happen. Spending time in the Word. Not just reading the Word. You know, I think a lot of times we open up in the morning, we do our two or three minute devotion and we're done. Bada boom, bada bing, let's go to work. Okay? We need to be studying the Word. We need to be meditating on the Word. We need to be in that Word. Okay? We need to be teaching our children in our homes. We need to be examining our lives for the sin that's in our lives and watching out for the temptations that we have. You know, the problem is... It's once your private duties begin to go. You start to lose your sorrow for sin, and you become less sensitive to the Holy Spirit speaking in your life. And you begin to drift away from God. Number three, you turn away from the company of Christians. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 3, God commanded Israel not to intermarry with the people in the land. They were only to marry Israelites, people, their own people, right? They were not to intermarry with people from the land. God given clear command, don't mingle with them, okay? Don't marry them. But they begin to take husbands and wives from the people of the land. And before long, they started playing a harlot with God. And actually, through the Bible, 
God compares Israel quite a bit to to harlots because they turned away from Him. So the danger we have is we begin to turn away from fellow believers and replace them with non-believers in our lives. They become our primary source of friends and companionships. And here's the way this turns up in our lives. You know, you find you uh, start, you miss church a few weeks, two or three weeks. And for long, two or three weeks turns into four or five weeks. All of a sudden, you're not going to life group or your supper Sunday or these other activities we have here at Liberty to keep us together, okay? And, and I found the more and more you miss church, the harder it is to get back into that discipline to go back to church, okay? You have to make yourself go to bed early on Saturday night. Sunday morning service begins on Saturday night, not Sunday morning. you got to get in bed early so you can get up on Sunday and be halfway awake. Because the sermons we have here takes a lot of, of uh, discipline to listen to. Our, our pastors are very deep, okay? They have a lot to say. So, so we need to be ready to hear them, okay? Number four, you begin to grow cold in your public duties. So not only your private duties, now your public duties. In Judges chapter 2, verse 2, it says... God is speaking. He says, as for you, you should make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You should tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed me. What is this you have done? God commanded Israel as they were in uh, through Leviticus. He gave them the laws. And part of the laws they had, they had public feasts they were supposed to celebrate, the feast of the Passover, the feast of booths, uh, feasts around harvest time. They began to neglect those, uh, those feasts. The other commandment they had, one thing God told them to do, is once a year they would come before the, uh, the tabernacle, or once they got into Jerusalem and built the temple, they were to come and to hear the word read in public. And for one full day, they would stand in the sun and listen to somebody read the Word of God. They started neglecting doing that. Their public duties began to be neglected. So how is this manifesting in our lives? How do we begin to neglect our public duties that we have? So first of all, I've already alluded to this once, but we start missing church, okay? We don't hear the Word preached. We don't hear the Scripture read in public. We don't hear public prayers or participate in public prayers. We forsake the Lord's Supper that reminds us what Jesus has done for us. Um, We give up godly fellowship. Um, You know, right now in life, we're studying about missions, about sharing the gospel. You quit doing that. You quit discipling and ministering to others. You see, all these begin to fade away in your life. Your mind is no longer set on the things of God. You are more interested in pursuing selfish pursuits than in things that please the flesh. And the things of the flesh begin to replace the spiritual things in your life. And before long, these public duties, these things you used to do, have faded from your life and even from your thought process. Number five, you begin to pick holes in godly people. Now, there are a couple examples of this in the Scripture. In Numbers chapter 12... Uh, Miriam, Moses' sister, and his brother Aaron, they get jealous of Moses. They said, hey Moses, you're not even married to an Israelite, you're married to a Cushite. How many people know where Cush is? 
Cush is in Africa in the area of Ethiopia, okay? That's where Moses met Mrs. Moses in the desert, right? So, so you know, they get married. And so Miriam and Aaron become jealous of, Mo, of, of Moses. And God deals with that real quick. And then a few chapters later in Numbers chapter 16, we have Korah. And Korah is a guy who decided, he told Moses and Aaron, you know what? You guys are not special. You're not any more holy than the rest of us. The rest of us should be able to bring the word and to minister and speak for God just like you did. So they went out and made their own censers to have uh, holy um, uh, incense, right? And so God called them out. God called them before Moses. And God said, I'll decide who speaks for me. And at that time, the ground opens up and swallows up Korah and all the people that followed him and their wives and their children. Okay? God dealt with that. Don't pick holes in the godly people. You know, those who who grow cold in their faith and duties, they begin to find problems with other Christians. And sadly, they'll even do that with people who used to be their pastors or their spiritual mentors. Um, You know, previously, you couldn't wait to get to church. I can't wait to get to church. I can't wait to hear the sermon we're going to have today. That preacher is, you know, the best I've ever heard. And now you start falling away. You start doing these things. Your public duties start waning. And all of a sudden, well, you know, I don't like that preacher. He he talks too loud. He, He yells sometimes. Or he's dull. He's boring. He goes too long. All he talks about is money, okay? One sermon a year, maybe. All he talks about is money, okay? They start picking, okay? They do this maliciously with spite. They have the intent of defamation and derogatory comments. You know, I'm going to confess something right now that that a few years ago, I kind of went through something like this. Um, Our family was facing something that was, was very difficult to deal with. And it's something that had to, had to come out before the church. And we had been going to this church, I don't know, 10, 11, maybe 12 years at that time. Okay? David Vaughn was, is probably the, the, uh, one of the best spiritual mentors I have, I've ever had between David and Phil Swearens. And, and I've known Mike since he was a believer probably. I've seen him grow up. But I want you to know the type of thinking I had is, you know what? When this thing, when we start talking about this thing at church, I know what those people at that church are going to do. They're going to turn away from us. They're going to reject us. Okay? And especially that one person. He'll probably never have anything to do with me again. And I want to tell you what happened. When we got into this, that thinking was straight from the pit of hell. Okay, It was put there to try to drive us out of this church. There's no doubt in my mind. So what happened? Let me tell you what. This church rallied around our family. Every elder, every deacon, their wives, they prayed for us. They prayed with us. And they wept with us. They were there. They had our backs. Okay? Satan will use your bad thoughts and isolation from other believers to mess up your thinking and your reasoning. Don't let him do that, okay? You start to concentrate on sins that you see in other believers. That other person may have sin in their lives, but you begin to use that and pick on it and justify your own sins. But let me tell you this. 
Sin in someone else never justifies sin in your life. Never. Okay? You know, when I was much younger and naive, I was probably in my early, uh, late teens, maybe early 20s. And uh, there was a pastor in my home church. He was minister to college-age people. And he was the guy that Sandy and I met through. His name is Phil Swearingen. And Phil used to disciple me when we'd be out frog hunting or fishing or things like this. And so I have a really good relationship with Phil. And I told Phil one time, like I said, I was very young and naive. I said, you know what? It must be great to be a pastor. Thank you, David. I said, you're working around Christians all the time. They love you. They care about you. All they say are encouraging words. They lift you up. They never have anything bad to say about you. And when I told Phil this, Phil did just like David Vaughn did. He just guffawed out loud. And I remember I told David Vaughn this story a few months ago, and he did exactly then what he just did, okay? You know, sadly, sadly, this is true. People turn on godly people when they start drifting away from God. We need to pray for our elders, for our pastors, for our deacons. Okay, they have a difficult job. I can't imagine having to do this week in and week out, what I'm doing this morning. They do it, okay, and it's a thankless job. And so I want to thank you guys for what you do. And I want to encourage body, pray for our, our, our elders. Okay, number six. Check the time. I'm doing okay, honey. Number six, you begin to associate and hang out more with carnal or immoral people. We saw that in Judges 2. You know, God said, don't make a covenant with them. Uh, tear down the altars, but you've not obeyed me. So not only did they mingle with these immoral people in the land, but they made covenants with them. A covenant is a legal binding agreement. Okay, They bound themselves to pagan people. They gave up God and they bound themselves to pagan people. They began to intermarry with them and follow after their pagan rituals. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. You see, what provoked the Israelites to forsake God during the period of Judges was their great desire to be like their neighbors. That's who they were associating with. That's who they were hanging with. And young people, there's just a few of you here today. Who are you associating with? Who are you hanging with? What type of influence are they having in your lives? You know, right now in Life Group, we're studying missions in the gospel. And in order to share the gospel, we have to be around non-believers, right? You have to go to non-believers to share the gospel. But whenever you desire to be around non-believers more than you do believers, you need to do a gut check, okay? Because that will begin to influence you. That's why it's so important that we have these, not only church, but extra things like Life Group and Reformation Wednesday and our supper clubs, that we can get together as believers and encourage each other and be there for each other. It's very important to belong, right, Mike? Yep, that's right. Now, I'm not saying that we only have to hang out with with Liberty believers, right? We need to be with other believers. 
There's a group of people that Sandy and I get together with one time a year. And it began a few years ago uh, with this uh, one, one person. Uh, she was uh, uh, one of Sandy's closest friends in college. And she was having a big birthday party. So her husband flew several of us down to Austin, Texas. And we had a surprise birthday party. And we spent all weekend uh, just getting to meet new people. Sandy knew some of the people. I knew very few of the people. But uh, So we did that on Saturday. Sunday morning, we went over to these people's house, and we spent the morning singing songs. These are people who, who went to Southwest Baptist University in the mid to late 70s or were involved with Campus Crusade in Kansas City in that time, same time period. So we were all products, grew up in the 70s, okay? We came through the Jesus movement. So some of you are old enough to remember the Jesus movement back in the 70s. But let me tell you what, these are people who have been faithfully following God for over 40 years. Now, it doesn't mean that life has always been easy. It doesn't mean life has always been good. There have been some hard times, okay? But these people have been faithfully following God for over 40 years. They're still involved in church. They're still plugged in. They're still living for God. They're not giving up after that time period. These are the type of people we need to be hanging around with. These need to be our type of friends. Okay? Belonging is important. Number seven, you give in to sin in secret. Um. Judges 2, I'm going to read verses 10 through 13. All that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods among the gods of the people who were around them, and they bowed themselves down to them. Thus they provoked the anger, uh, provoked the Lord to anger. So they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. Now they didn't immediately jump into this open sin, but these things started small. They started in secret. You see, you begin to start playing in little sin in secret. Okay, no one sees it in your mind. You're thinking, no one sees it, no one knows it. It doesn't affect anyone but me. Besides that, you might have seen this sin in someone else who calls himself a Christian. And after all, you're no worse off than they are. So here's the situation. It starts out as something small, but it sows a seed that makes it easier and easier to commit that sin the next time. However, there's a problem with little sins. What happened to little sins? They begin to grow, right? Little sins become big sins. I like what Ravi Zacharias said. Ravi Zacharias said, Sin would take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Okay? Sin is not something to play around with. Once sin starts, it's like an avalanche. You can't stop it. It just starts to snowball and get bigger and bigger and leaves a huge path of destruction in its wake. James 1.14 says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. By his own desire. We need to be aware of the desires that would lure us away from God. So my question to you is, what are your desires, your lusts, your secret sins 
These are the ones that you must be on guard against and you must watch out for. I always wondered why that was so important. Now I know. I bet you wish you had a glass of water. You know? All right, number eight. Number eight in this, this process. You're glad if you can see such sins in someone else who's called a Christian. You know, we should be have sorrow and we should pray for them. But we're in this state, we don't care. And we're glad when we see this in someone else. God had called Israel to obedience to His Word. God had called them to be a holy nation. A nation set apart for a holy purpose. God had called them to be godly and to flee from idolatry. But that was unpopular in those days. It's been unpopular through church history. And no doubt, it is unpopular in today's world as well. You know, as people give in to carnal sins, they begin to look in sins in other, in other believers, right? And they seemingly want to judge themselves, not against the Scripture, not in accordance with God, but they want to judge themselves against other people. They begin to repair them, compare themselves to other people. Their standard becomes a man instead of God's standard. Romans one twenty five says, For they exchanged the truth of God... For a lie, and worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Sadly, these people, and we can, if we're not careful, begin to trade the truths of God for the lies of men. That's why it's so important that we stay in the Scriptures. And then the last point. I want to go to Judges chapter 21. And I'm going to read one of the most, to me, bone-chilling verses in the Old Testament. There's another verse in the uh, New Testament that should scare us to death. But to me, this verse is a verse that, that should put fear in everyone, especially in today's world. Judges 21-25. It's the last verse in the book of Judges. Okay? Here's what it says. In those days, there was no king in Israel. That's why God had judges, because there was no king. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. You see, they began to commit sins openly. They did what was right in their own eyes. We've already seen some of this. They married people from the land in defiance of God's command. They began to practice religious practices that were in the land. And let me tell you how bad these religious practices became. They were practicing male and female temple prostitution. Okay. They also, at some point, begin to practice child sacrifice. How low does a people have to go when they start sacrificing their children for their own pleasures and just because they want to? Thank you, David, for your testimony this morning. How far they fell away from God and His ideals. What started out as something as benign as your thoughts drifting away from God has now turned into open sin of the worst type. They become hardened to God's commands, and they no longer have a conscience that warns them of sin. The only standard they have, the only standard they have to guide their lives is they do what was right 
in their own eyes. People, we see that all over the world today. People are doing what is right in their own eyes. And sins that were once done in in, uh, secret are now done publicly and openly. And they don't care who sees or knows. At this point, you no longer hear that call from God. You have no desire to read His Word, to study His Word, and spend time in prayer. You have no desire to be with other believers, to go to church, to hear sermons, to worship. You no longer care that others see sin in your life. You may even become openly hostile to the things of God. All you care about are your carnal pleasures, your lusts, and your desires. This is what man sinks to whenever he forsakes God. However, comma, the Bible does not end there, does it? Thank God it doesn't. You know, one thing I rejoice about uh, when we started attending this church years ago is whenever I hear sermons in this church, whether it's David or Mike or Justice or or even uh, Tim Ward at the time or Dave Bowles, I never left this church feeling guilty. I always left um, feeling convicted of sin. And I always left feeling like there was hope. And this morning, what we talked about so far can be kind of dark. It can keep, be kind of down. But let me tell you what, that is not the end of the story. There, there's, a, uh, there's a remedy for this. But first of all, I want you to know that if you're a child of the king, God will reach out to bring you back just as he did Israel in the Old Testament over and over and over. As we studied in Life Group, God saves us for his good pleasure, for the praise and glory of his name. He's a jealous God and will preserve that glory and honor. It will always be about Him retaining His glory to protect and honor His name. You know what? It may not be so enjoyable for you depending on how much you kick against the goats whenever God is trying to bring you back, but God will go after you and bring you back. I want to turn now to 2 Chronicles. So if you have to look it up in the index, you can. It's just a couple of books before Psalm. Chronicles is uh, Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. And in chapter 6, Solomon is dedicating the temple in Jerusalem. He just built this grand and glorious temple, the most glorious temple they had in, in, in Israel uh, since. And, and Solomon is praying this prayer of dedication to the temple. And he comes to chapter 6, and I'm going to start looking at verse 36. <clears throat> so second, second Chronicles chapter 6, verse 36. And here's the way the, this particular part of the prayer starts. When, when they sin against you, not if, not should, not maybe if, but when. God says, when they sin against you, for there is no man who does not sin, and you are angry with them and deliver them to an enemy, so that they take them away captive to a land far off or near. If they take thought in the land where you're taken captive and repent and make supplication to you in the land of their captivity, saying, We have sinned, we've committed iniquity, and have acted wickedly. If they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity, where they've been taken captive, and pray toward their land which you have given uh, their fathers, and the city which you have chosen toward the house which I have built for your name, then hear from heaven, from your dwelling place, their prayer and supplications, and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. 
Solomon lays out a process here to return to God. In verse 37, the first thing he says, take, and they take thought. So once again, we see that just as their, their journey away from God begins with their thinking, their journey back to God begins with their thoughts. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says that we are to be transformed. How? By the renewing of our of our mind. It starts with our thought process, okay? Why does our mind, our thinking need to be changed or transformed? Because it has become corrupted. And in the same way, the process of falling away from God begins with your thoughts. Your turn back to God begins with your thoughts. Second Corinthians 10, 5 says we're to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You see, we have work to do. Whenever we come back, we have work to do. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit. Don't get me wrong, okay? God has a huge part. But we have some responsibility too. We just can't sit back drinking our iced tea from Quick Trip or eating our meal at LTO, right? We have to, we have to be engaged in this. We have work to do. We have to start thinking about the things of God. So you replace that, that thinking of the things away from God and replace it as you Start thinking about the things of God. You start praying. You start getting into the Word. Okay? This replaces your bad thinking. Then in verse 37, he says, repent. He says, repent. So, uh, so once our thinking is correct and back on track, we begin to see sin in our lives. And we must repent or turn away from that sin. In short, quit doing what you're doing. Stop it. Right? Now, that's a lot easier said than done. Uh, you know, as I talk to my life group quite a bit, we, we live in this dichotomy, okay? We, we are, our mind is, you know, on, on the Scriptures, but we have this fleshly body in this world. And this fleshly body still has these desires that we struggle with. The world has these temptations that we have to deal with, okay? But we have to set our minds on God. We have to turn to Him. We have to repent. And the more time you spend in the Word, the more time you spend praying, the more, time, the more those former thoughts begin to go away, and your thoughts become more and more on God. Then in verse 37, he says, after repent, he says, make supplication. Now, supplication is a special type of prayer. Okay? It's a prayer that expresses a, a um, gut-wrenching cry, a gut-wrenching need to God. And once your thinking is correct, and once you repent of your sins, you start turning toward God, you realize the sin in your life, and you realize the gulf between you and God. And this supplication is how we get power from the Holy Spirit to start combating these sins in our lives. And it says in Judges, over and over, the people cried out to God when they came to their senses. And then in verse 37, it says, uh, you make supplication... Uh, to you in the land of their captivity. And here's what they say. It's saying, we have, turned, we have sinned, we've committed iniquity, and we've acted wickedly. What's going on there? They are confessing their sin. As part of this turning from God, you must confess your sin. Let me ask you a question. Does God need you to tell Him your sin? No. And a matter of fact... If you would listen to God, He would probably tell you sins in your life you didn't even know about. Okay? God does not need us to educate Him about anything, much less our sin. However, He does, confel- he does tell us to confess our sin. Why does He tell us to confess our sin? 
I think it's more for us than it is for Him. You know, somehow it is much worse to say out loud your specific sin than it is just to pray it in your mind even. You pray it in your mind, it's like, okay, God, did that, got it, check, you know, you move on. But when you have to say that out loud, it brings a whole different perspective, a whole different matter. It just drives home the impact of sin in your life and how bad that sin really is. And then the last thing he says in verse 38, if they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul. You see, we understand that this is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And what was formerly reprehensible is now our desire. We desire to come back to God. We desire to be in His presence. We desire to be around our believing friends and back in our home church. We want to belong again. Okay? Now, I've always wanted to say this. In conclusion, there are some things we need to remember as we walk through life and face some of the struggles. First of all, you are loved by a God of sovereign grace who's provided the Holy Spirit who gives power to heal, cleanse, and make us holy. If you are His, He has not given up on you, and He will not give up on you, but has determined to sanctify you and complete His good pleasure in and through your life for His sake. You see, it's not about us. It is about Him. Okay? And no matter how badly God's covenant people fail, God is quick to rescue them uh, when His church repents. Second Peter 4.17 says that judgment begins with the house of God. But the judgment he's talking about here is not a destructive judgment like what happened with Korah in the wilderness. The judgment he's talking about here is a disciplinary judgment. It's a judgment to bring you back to Him. The error of the judges shows that God will not fail to rescue and preserve His church when His church repents and cries out to Him. Father, we come to you this morning. God, we just thank you for these scriptures. Uh, Lord, as as Dan read and exhorted this morning, we thank you that that you care about us, Father. You reach out to us. And Father, uh, you want to use us. And God, I just pray this morning that um, as we go through this next week, God, we would just examine our lives, examine our lives for sin, for ways that we're turned against you. And uh, Father, I pray that uh, these scriptures would just... uh, uh, captivate our minds, Father, and bring our minds back to you. And Father, in these things, uh, we just lift up in your holy name. Amen. I want to do one other thing. I want everyone in here to stand up for a minute. And I want to, I want to announce a benediction. I want to announce a blessing on everyone in this church based on what we've heard this morning. Okay? So if you will, humor me for a minute. I want you to raise one hand or another as a sign of accepting this, this benediction out of the book of Jude. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of His glory, blameless with great joy. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Thank you.